This episode is brought to you by Wild Foods. Holy heck, Mercedes, have you tried their keto bar? So yummy and only two grams of net carbs. And they're using real food to create their flavor. So no sugar alcohols and all of the protein and fat you need to fuel your low carb lifestyle. Yes, I love it. Yep, and with natural ingredients like almond butter and collagen, it isn't just keto-friendly, it also adheres to the primary values of wild foods where they believe real food is fundamental to human health. That fits right in with my health goals. And because we know how health-conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. Greetings, earthlings. Welcome, boys and babes. It's the magic hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. I am in the middle of trying to choose from some of the sweetest reviews that we've recently received from you guys. And it's so hard because they're all so great, but I am going to read one from Ain't Nothing Nice. It says, Jade and Mercedes provide great content for those of us exploring this existence for bigger truths and guidance towards light. They have wonderful guests. Their first guest was Paul Selig, and they meet their guests with vulnerability and compassion. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to these two inspiring women bring up topics that I care about. Thank you so much for those words. Ain't nothing nice. Um, It not only fills us with love, but it also gives our show a chance to be heard by more people. So thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. And when you guys give us those positive ratings, reviews, and um, subscribe to the show, it tells the podcast app to populate our show at the top of their lists. So, you know, that's what goes along with all the suggested shows and lets our show be seen so other people can also listen in. And it also helps to influence potential guests who want to come on the show. So we are so grateful for you taking the time to show us that love. So thank you in advance. Um, And by the way, you can rate and review and subscribe right now while you're listening still. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. All right, you guys, we've got a really interesting show in store for you today. Our guest is the husband of London Angel Winters, whom we interviewed in episode number 27, which has become famous for her advice to relax your tongue. Mm, Yeah. Um, That's probably the simplest yet most valuable piece of advice that has literally changed my life, um, not to mention my sex life. I have people come up to me all the time. That they literally will come up and say, relax your tongue. It's super cool how simple and effective doing that is. Well, I know today's guest is going to have a way to compound that tip into something even more incredible. So let's introduce him, shall we? Yes, author to two books, The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love and The Art of Energetic Agility, both co-written with his wife, London Angel Winters. Today's guest is a wealth of knowledge and experience on all things surrounding that oh-so-illusory word, intimacy. A coach to both men and women on how to reawaken their power, both masculine and feminine, and to lead their lives from an empowered place of using both energies consciously. 
He leads high-end retreats with his partner, London, including their signature retreat, The Yoga of Intimacy. And together, they help others deepen their relationships, overcome the challenges of long-term commitment, and learn how to grow spiritually and sexually with their partner. Fellas and ladies listening, this guy is the ultimate wingman. If we're able to soak up just an ounce of knowledge from speaking with him today, I know we'll all be better off in attracting and sustaining juicy love, sex, and passion in our lives. Please welcome Justin Patrick Pierce to the Magic Hour. Hi. Hi. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. I'd like to get some of the words and terms that you use that may not be, you know, quote unquote, mainstream defined for our listeners before we get too deep um, into this interview. So could you start off by explaining a few of those for us? Um, Let's start with energetic agility. Energetic agility is a term that London and I have created after spending a decade in the conversation around the masculine and feminine. So anyone who studies sacred sexuality and even any of the other traditions that have influenced sacred sexuality, like tantrism is a key one, you'll hear about the masculine and feminine talked about a lot. And they have, they mean certain things to these traditions. And when we start to learn what they mean, what we're seeing in our culture today is that women are embodying these qualities just as naturally and just as well as men have for the last several uh, thousand years in our traditions. So things like sciences, um, like certain skills that are being developed, being a lawyer, being a doctor, these used to be thought of as exclusively masculine trades. That's no longer the case in our current culture. We're seeing women all over the country graduating high school more than that, scoring better on tests more than that. More women are graduating college across the country right now than that. More women are becoming lawyers. More women are becoming doctors. So what London and I started to observe in our culture and inside of our own dynamic is that it isn't necessarily true that men should just be masculine and women should just be feminine. Mm. And yet there's this incredible technology that is polarity, that when men embody one end of the pole and women embody the other, there's a magnetism and an intimacy you can create that is unlike anything else. Mm. So we lived inside of this very dogmatic container that the tradition said where I had to be masculine, she had to be feminine. We followed that to the T for years. And at a certain point we began to say, but is this really the full spectrum of who I am? Is this really the depth of me as a human being? And we began to challenge the status quo. We began to challenge what even our teachers were telling us. Mm-hmm. And on our own, we discovered a new formula. And that's energetic agility, where we could bring our full selves to the relationship. And how could we do that in a conscious way that was really serving a dynamic while she could still pursue her purpose in the world? I could still find my artistry and creativity and expressive side. And we could coexist without losing polarity in the relationship. Very cool. So what I'm hearing is when we think of even even the term um, sexual polarity is definitely not mainstream yet, unfortunately. But if we can understand the differences in masculine and feminine energies and be able to understand how we can step in and out of those, we can do that in relationship 
in order to create this this chemistry and sexual energy between the two people and that is energetic agility am i getting that right exactly so when we work with couples people come from all over the world to work with us on our Mm -hmm. weekends and we will train men and women with the essentials that they would need to know to begin living it and experiencing it right away Mm -hmm. Um, but energetic agility is learning how do i transition in my day-to-day life from work mode to mother mode to father mode to intimacy with my partner how can a man relate to his infant child and be Mm. the caretaker nurturer for the day while the Mm. woman goes off and pursues the purpose for the day and vice versa. We get, once we understand polarity, we get to design our lifestyles around it. And when we do it intentionally, we no longer start to fall into that trap of neutrality when our partner starts feeling just like a roommate and we wonder where the sexual spark went to. That's really the pitfall of long-term relationships that we work with most exclusively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something we're going to get into more because I know you have some really important to say stuff to say around the alpha omega um, idea. And when we end up, you know, business partners or something like that, and we're always in alpha mode together and it doesn't become, it's not very sexy after a while. But before I get into that, I want to continue with kind of just defining some of these terms. I know you're going to use them and I want everyone to be speaking the same language um, as they listen. So can you define what an awakened woman or man is and can a man be awakened the same way? (laughs) Awakened is a tricky word. Yeah. Um, It can mean so many different things, but at the same time, if we study the traditions, it really points to one, which is this idea of enlightenment. Um, whether it's a Hindu tradition, a Buddhist tradition, a Taoist tradition, they all speak of this idea that we can become enlightened or liberated or totally free, and they have different ways of getting there. And to be fully awakened or fully realized is quite a feat. I don't think many human beings ever experience that or intended to permanently abide Mm -hmm. in that state. But what we can experience is we can have non-abiding awakenings. We can have moments of insight where we experience, wow, I'm more than just my body. Mm. Or, wow, I am connected to everything. Or, wow, there is something infinitely beyond all of this that I am aware of. Mm -hmm. And have you guys experienced something like this before Mm -hmm. yourselves? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So more and more people are having these experiences. And in the work that we teach in the two-bodied spiritual practice uh, in sacred sexuality, you can intentionally create those types of experiences with your intimate partner if you know how to do it similarly to a meditation or a yoga. So the two-bodied practice is a form of a non-postural yoga you can Mm. learn and bring into not just the bedroom, where that's where it gets most of its attraction, but you can also apply that same principle across your entire lifestyle and you design how your relationship and your purpose and your family life all coincide that they can really exist in harmony without losing attraction to your partner. Mm, That's beautiful. Um, So yes, then I suppose anyone can be awakened no matter your, your sex, your gender. Yes. (laughs) In in one word. Yes. (laughs) Um, I just know that you, you know, 
you guys work so much with the awakened woman, the book, the idea there. So I just wanted to clarify that this is not for women only. This is something that we're all experiencing kind of as a whole as humanity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the last word I want to just cover, and you touched on it a little there, is sacred intimacy. And maybe, you know, the sacred sexuality you're talking to earlier all ties into that as well. Yeah, sacred sexuality has become a term in the West mm-hmm. um, to identify these kind of spiritual sexual practices that have mostly been invented by the West, but influenced by Eastern traditions. Mm. They don't actually have too much roots in, in things like um, in Tantra that a lot of people assume they do. Um, they did have certain practices and rites that were based around sex, but what you experience as kind of Tantra in the West is more correctly known as sacred sexuality as a category. Okay. I think they now have that category on Amazon in their books section, if yeah. you want to look those up. Yeah. The reason why London and I call our work more so sacred intimacy is because we are just interested in spiritualizing or bringing mindfulness to the bedroom alone. Mm. It's not just about sex and the work that we do. Right. What it's really about is learning how to make your sexuality a part of personal growth, learning how to grow spiritually alongside the person you love, learning how to do that without letting things like reactivity, jealousy, mm-hmm. fear, shame, just get in the way of the relationship and slowly deteriorate. So this is how, once we understand polarity, mm-hmm. every uh, student of ours becomes empowered with the knowledge to know when things are going wrong, why they're going wrong, and what they need to do to get them back on course. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and I, I notice uh, just the word mindfulness when it pertains to intimacy or sexuality. Um, for me, it's like, I'm sure at this point you've, you've seen so many people that are, you know, struggling around intimacy that it's no new thing to see someone who's just tapping into mindfulness around, um, intimacy. But to me, it's like an awakening, an awakening in itself, just to realize that you have been completely mindlessly, uh, you know, being with a partner for all these years, this is my own experience I'm projecting here, but, you know, to realize that I have put so little mindfulness towards this part of my life that is such an important part of my joy and, you know, euphoria and human experience. So I'm, I love you, the work you guys are doing. I love both you and London's whole deal. Like I listen to all your stuff. We read your books. We're huge fans on the show. So I'm just super thankful that you brought this stuff into my life because it's already made a huge change and I haven't even been to one of your workshops yet. So Mm -hmm. thank you for saying so. It means a lot. Yeah. So now that we know those terms, how can we go about implementing them into our life? So um, maybe can we explore how to with the energetic agility? Like how can we implement that with our partner? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Let's start with the most mundane and then we can kind of move more intimate if we want. Mm -hmm. But when we understand these terms, alpha and omega that London and I use, the the original definitions of these words are are kind of defined as the masculine and feminine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in tantrism, this is defined originally, this particular definition of, but as many definitions, keep in mind. But the masculine represents consciousness, spaciousness, voidness. Mm. And its role, its embodiment is kind of a single pointed focus, a drive forward. It's structured, it's grounded, it's a form of penetrative force, is, is mm-hmm. a few ways to abstractly describe this, this energy. Mm. And the feminine is defined as creative energy, as white light, as radiant light, radiance. This is why women will adorn themselves in sparker, sparkle, glitter, mm. wear earrings, so they shine like light. So mm. that shine, that radiance is naturally identifying with this kind of feminine side of the scale. London and I call it Alpha and Omega because once you understand these principles, they go way beyond gender and people, and they're playing a huge role in our lives, particularly Mm -hmm. with the modern woman. And the modern woman throughout her day is constantly shifting between alpha and omega. And an easy way to say it is alpha is work mode. I'm here. I got a purpose. I'm going to kick some ass. And omega is when, okay, I'm ready to... I'm ready to let someone hold me up. I'm ready to relax my spine. I'm ready to receive consciousness into me. I'm ready to be held. I'm ready to open. So the modern woman really starts to experience this dichotomy between these two parts of herself. And by her being liberated in those ways, that's a great thing. But men and women are now trying to figure out how do we navigate relationship now that we both have a purpose in the world. That you are out there in charge and commanding and playing the structural role. And I'm in the world playing those structural roles or trying to, and then we get home and we're butting heads about things. We're wondering Mm. where's the intimacy or we're just vegging out on the couch neutrally. Mm -hmm. So how do these forces play into our life? I'll give you one example. In our day to day, every so often I have to take the plants out of the house so they could be watered and then bring them back into the house. Now, My woman and I, we split that responsibility. I carry the plants from inside the house to the outside of the house. She waters the plants. Mm. When the plants are dry and ready to be brought back in the house, I carry them back into the house. In this example, we preserved polarity in our relationship. Why? Because I embodied the structural role of moving these heavy objects. She provided the omega role of nurturing or caring for bringing sustenance to the plants. And then I brought the plants back inside. That doesn't seem like a big deal to a lot of people. But if I said, hey, babe, get over here and help me bring these plants outside, suddenly she's an alpha with me Mm -hmm. and we depolarize our relationship. If she says, hey, babe, I need help watering these plants, I go into Omega and we depolarize the relationship. Little interactions like this are happening all throughout your day. And if we're not mindful about it, we start to feel no longer attracted, even irritated and resentful of our partner because of the way that we're interacting with them. So we can take this a few layers deeper, but first I'll stop there and check in with you guys before we go any further. Yeah, and that makes absolute sense. And you talk about every instance you have while you're around your partner on the day-to-day basis, especially like my husband and I, we work and live in the same house together. So there is constant interaction to some degree or another. 
So finding little ways, you know, and maybe it ends up 50 different little things that at the end of the day have built up into whatever the energy is that you've allowed in between each other. So no, I, I, I'm there with you. I, you, you talk about an experience. Um, I've heard you talk about before anyway, uh, when London's working and you call her, you know, to you, maybe you can speak on that. Cause I think that's a really powerful, um, instance of how to use this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so London and I have been together for 10 years. We work from home. We're now parents together. We have a girl who's one and a half years old. Mm. We're best friends. We work on the same business together. So even being best friends and business partners is like a recipe for disaster for intimate relating, just so everyone is aware of that. <laughs> being best friends and intimate partner is potential disaster because it leads to neutrality. Mm. So how can we bring polarity into the relationship? I'll give you one example uh, that Mercedes is speaking to. If London's in the kitchen and I see her and she's working on something on her computer and she's in work mode, you can tell what work mode looks like, right? You could tell you're kicking ass, you're handling things, right? Sometimes I'll walk into the kitchen and I'll notice her in that state and I'll just stop. I'll plant my feet. I'll become really still. And I'll just look at her and I'll be breathing deeply, deeply. I'll relax my body. It's not intimidating or invasive in any way, but it's just grounded presence. Mm -hmm. And I'll wait for her to notice me. She'll look over and the moment she looks at me, I'll say, get over here. (laughs) And you just notice in that moment, she just kind of like shakes her head and it's like, what? And then she's like, oh, I see what he's doing. He's offering me something. Mm -hmm. Now, she could ignore that and blow that off and be like, get away, I'm busy, and keep working. Mm-hmm. But that would, destroy, that would destroy our opportunity to deepen our relating. So instead, she recognizes the invitation. She goes, okay. Mm-hmm. And she'll relax her body, kind of gently saunter over to me. <laughs> I'll wrap my arm around her lower back. I'll pull her in. I'll take a couple of breaths with her against my belly. And then she'll kind of open up. You can just start to feel she wants more of me. And then I'll just whisper in her ear and I'll say, get back to work. (laughs) And then I'll gently push her back. And then now she's sad that she has (laughs) to go back to work. But then I'll just leave the space. Mm -hmm. And that's a way that we can intentionally bring polarity back into our relationship in the most small ways. And imagine you do that three times a day with your partner. By the time you get into the bed at night, there's a little fire still burning. There's a pilot light between the two of you that you could turn up if you want to make love. But imagine not doing that. And she's hardened in work mode all day and I'm hardened in work mode. And by the end of the day, we're just exhausted. Mm -hmm. We have no energy to give one another. It rarely leads to passionate lovemaking at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So by doing these little things and knowing how to incorporate them, and really create authentic desire in our partner is all part of this process. And I tell my students always, frequency is key. Even if it's just a little moment, a little blip. I want to give you guys one example. This is my favorite example mm-hmm. ever. Okay. I'm driving in the car with London and the windows are down. <clears throat> and it's a little chilly out. But, you know, I'm running a little hotter than her. So I need a little cool air. Mm-hmm. And... She's just over there starting to get a bit cold. And I see her kind of like, you know, 
bundle herself up and, and start to get cold, but she doesn't say anything. So I don't really make it mean much. Now, in this moment, London has two options. She can feel that the window's down, it's irritating her. So she could say, babe, roll up the windows, I'm cold. That's option one. Mm -hmm. Or what she did is she looked at me and she goes, babe, I'm cold. Now is it? Mm -hmm. Those two options are the difference between preserving polarity in relationship or destroying it. Mm. Because if she said, babe, roll up the window, she's an alpha because our alpha is structure, commands, mm. is in charge. See that? So it's the same exact moment, same exact experience, and it's just slightly different. So if she said, babe, roll up the window, and then I go, okay, and I rolled up the window, you can feel how mm. that relationship deteriorates. Mm -hmm. But when she goes, babe, I'm cold, and I look over and I go, wow, she is cold, and I get to roll up the window of my own choosing in service of her, polarities preserved. She stayed mm -hmm. in Omega because she did not command. All she did was express what she was feeling and show me how she was feeling. I love that. It's beautiful, but, but what comes up for me is a couple things. Firstly, is it a matter of trust that you have to have with your partner that they will follow through with an outcome that is in your favor? Is it about surrendering the outcome um, when you're consciously choosing which polarity to step into in that mode? Yeah, but it's both simultaneously. First of all, surrender. I'm glad you brought that up. Surrender is a big word in our work, mm -hmm. but it absolutely does not mean giving up. Hmm. There is no giving up in this practice. In, in this practice, if you give up, that's called collapse. You're emotionally collapsed. You've withdrawn or you've erupted. You're not actually in relationship anymore. But when we talk about surrender, surrender means to allow him to see the truth of your heart. If the truth of your heart is sadness, you allow that sadness to be seen. If it's rage, you let the rage be seen. Whatever is the truth of your heart, the reflection of his unconsciousness in that moment, you allow it to be seen. Hmm. Is trust required? Absolutely. She can only surrender as much as she trusts her partner. Mm -hmm. If trust is not present, she shouldn't be opening to that partner in the first place. But it's paradoxical because if she waits until someone who's perfectly trustable right. before she's willing to open, she'll never open because perfect trust doesn't exist her demand for trust is infinite, is infinite, her demand of consciousness. So we train men, how do you embody the full depth of your grounded consciousness within integrity, in your truth? How do you hold her in that and offer that? And when you do, you watch her open to you authentically. She opens intimately in a way that you can't pay for or she can't fake. It can't be faked because she's opening from the center of her body, deep inside of her body, her heart authentically opens. And when a man experiences a woman authentically opening to him, it can't be faked ever again. He knows what that is to have a woman authentically surrender to him. Hmm. And that's where, that's where people's lives change when they do this work. That's yeah, the moment. I can see that. that Look at my arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Um, and it is so beautiful to have that idea in our heads. And I think that's something we all hope to reach for. Or we will after listening to this episode anyway. Um, but the other thing that came up for me was still in line with uh, needing to trust somebody and um, surrendering and where that gets taken to another extreme is, you know, we talk about narcissism. We talk about someone who uses that as a way to take advantage of someone. And then the other, you know, the, the person playing the Omega in that situation might end up a victim or playing the victim role or falling into the victim role. If that's a pattern that they've got going on in their life. And I'm just wondering how we navigate all that. That's, that's a very real thing that happens often to people. I'm not an expert in psychology or therapy. So there's a certain degree of readiness that a couple or an individual brings to the work that they do in the yoga of intimacy. There are people committed to spiritual growth. There are people who are honest with themselves. There are people who have done enough work on themselves to really be willing to get honest feedback and be able to take and digest and adapt to that feedback moment Mm -hmm. to moment. Mm -hmm. And we work with men and women who are giving it their best and they're still failing constantly. Mm -hmm. Trust is being lost left and right. Um, Emotions are coming in. Boundaries are being broken. And these are the most dedicated, conscious, loving people we can encounter that are attracted to this work. For people who are well, not interested or ready for growth or wanting feedback or wanting to be trusted or wanting to have this kind of lifestyle, there's other modalities that would be more appropriate for them first. There might be some things they would need to work out with, with a therapist or in other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it comes to dealing with all of these sorts of psychological or emotional issues this modality is not a therapy and it's not a cure it's a yoga Mm -hmm. so it's like if you go to a yoga class um, and you have a broken leg maybe you shouldn't be doing yoga at that time and there's Mm -hmm. people who come to us and they've had traumas they'd have real things we work with very serious um, instances and we will tell them, honestly, you're not ready for this yet. You need to do some healing first. You need mm. to heal that leg. And when that part right. of you is healed and strong, you can come and experience something at this depth. Mm-hmm. So it does require both partners to be committed to growth, to really be um, qualified to, to start loving at this depth. And there are barriers to entry. Someone being a narcissist or toxic or abusive or and unwilling to kind of see the impact they're having yeah. on others, that's a huge barrier to entry. Yeah. And I think too, like if you're um if you're the awakened woman and you're trying to like bring your man into this consciousness or be his um, I think you call it like the northern compass is what you call it in the book. Um, and you're trying to be that omega and say, I'm cold and you're like having to be open to him not meeting your new needs and you being let down and that hurting, then maybe staying in that place, like you said, um, and showing him either you're being vulnerable and showing him either your sadness or your rage so that he can um, be invited to meet you there. 
Yes. Well, the practice is to learn at what volume does a man need a woman to express her emotions to actually wake up. Right. And it mm-hmm. turns out it needs to be pretty damn loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My teacher always used to say men are deaf, dumb, and blind when it comes uh, to intimacy. Okay. It's, and it needs to be at a volume 10 mm-hmm. for him to really understand the impact really he's spelled out. on you. And it's only made more difficult for him because of the time we're living in our culture today, Mm -hmm, because women are absolutely no longer helpless in any regard. Mm -hmm. So today a woman says, I'm cold. He's going to be like, yeah, so roll up the window. You got it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you can handle yourself. You can handle yourself and you can, women can absolutely handle themselves. But the question is, when does toughening up and putting on your bootstraps and going out to the world become no longer the way you want to live your romantic relationship. Mm. Now you could be that way with other people. It's probably appropriate to be that way with other people. We shouldn't go around and, you know, play helpless to just anyone. It's going to have an effect and probably an effect we don't necessarily want. Mm -hmm. But when we consciously do this with the person we trust and we love, it's a completely different story. Mm. And when we're learning it, we need to exaggerate these skills. We need to go deep into those asanas and exaggerate them. So we really move it through our nervous system because how many times have we been conditioned not to be helpless or not to appear Mm -hmm. this way or not to express ourselves or not to express anger? Don't let anyone see you sad. Don't be weak. Don't be vulnerable. How often has this been reinforced on nervous systems until our hearts have calloused over? Mm and we take people in a weekend and we tear your heart wide open (laughs) and we splay you wide open. But that takes a tremendous amount of skill and effort to create that experience for a human being. Very difficult for us to do that on our own. But the way we do the yoga is you read the book, you get a sense of it, you come to intensive, you experience it. Mm -hmm. And then just like a yoga weekend, it's up to you to keep those channels and pathways open. Allow yourself to continue to express, continue to emote, continue to be seen, to be vulnerable. And, you know, the one thing I say is like, as we get deeper into this, we start to recognize there's nothing cool about this. Right. Mm. There is nothing. You're not going to be the coolest person when you start doing this, because this is the opposite of cool. Mm-hmm. Cool is a front. Cool is a hardness. It's, a, it's an edge. It's a something that's like, ah, oh, that's cool but it is not soft and vulnerable and intimate. So here we're learning how do we rekindle that intimacy when it's something we really want in our lives or want back in our lives. Mm. Yeah. And I want to ask you about walking men into this work since I think in our culture, it's men are kind of instructed against showing up for this type of work. But before we do that, um, just to add on to what you're saying there, I wanted to, bring up the ideas around women feeling fearful of looking or sounding crazy by being very dramatic with their responses. And I think that that's, you know, all the women I speak to feel like I'm going to look crazy if I'm over dramatic. So I just keep it in. I'm going to be too much. I'm too much. It's a big phrase. I'm too much. Um, So that's a piece of it. And then the other piece that seems to compound that is that chivalry, I wouldn't say chivalry is dead, but chivalry is definitely sick. It's not doing 
are doing so great these days. Mm-hmm. So, so figuring out, you know, those pieces of our culture where we're, we're running these stories that say that if we quote unquote overreact to something, then we're going to be looked at like we're crazy or hormonal, which is, should be, in my opinion, allowed firstly, because we are hormonal people. We do have to go through these phases. Um, but I think that those are just really to add on to your point, because it's, it's just kind of, um, I think compounding into what you just said there and this is messy. And so, and also to add on to the the point of it not being cool. Yeah. You're not going to come into anything new to you and, and be good at it right away. You know, that's just your, that controlling nature, which I'm famous for wanting to be good at something off the bat, but it's. And this process never stops. Mm, yeah. It's not like you ever master this. It's yeah. it's a continual thing because we're ever changing. And so I just want I guess I wanted to say out loud that the if you're running any of these stories that are no longer serving you, it's okay to to come clean with that and rewrite it is all. Mm-hmm. And I think your workshops are a good place to start. <laughs> your books. <laughs> yeah, I mean at our workshops we have droves of men who are totally committed to becoming more conscious, more purposeful, living in integrity and having an oracle goddess as their woman. Yeah. So, so I'm surrounded by men who are built this way and are excited to be this way. And I know there's a lot of men out there in the world who aren't interested in this and that's okay. Right. But there are a lot of men who are, and it's pretty awesome to be in spaces with groups of these men. It really is. And what's in it for him look, every man is going to feel at times, if not often, that his woman is too much. Mm. It's a narrative that men and women have co-created for one another. London and I, in our relationship, very adamantly sought to completely obliterate that paradigm from our relationship. And we did. We did. We did. I can say that confidently. Does that mean I don't get overwhelmed at certain times? No, of course I get overwhelmed and of course fights break out and all of that. But the way we look at what's happening has transformed entirely. And this is how it starts. When you start doing the workshop, you start to discover that her authentic emotions are are reflecting a certain kind of truth in the moment. Mm. Whether or not you're trustable in a moment is Mm -hmm. one example. Can she trust you? I'm losing trust in you right now. Why? Well, then if she answers the question and gets it wrong, he's going to be like, oh, well, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. You can argue with your why, but he can't argue with the truth of your heart. He can never argue mm-hmm. with what you're feeling. He can argue with why you're feeling it all day, and he will. Mm-hmm. But a man cannot argue with the fact that you're feeling what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. That is irrefutable. I'm feeling this. I'm losing trust. Why are you losing trust? I'm losing trust in you right now. That is wisdom for that man if he's serious about becoming more conscious. Mm-hmm. His woman can become an oracle in that process. How? If a man is willing to consider that every feeling his woman shows him is based in some element of truth, every emotion she feels is reflecting truth. He first needs to go on faith that that might be the case. Mm -hmm. There's something true about what she's feeling. 
Now, oftentimes being in omega, when we're feeling something, particularly when we're feeling something intensely, the mind begins to create stories, artificial stories, and trying to make it mean things it doesn't necessarily mean. It tries to put together this story in a way where now it's starting make, making up these kind of crazy scenarios to try and help explain what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. When London used to bring me these types of emotions and then tell me the stories that were associated with them, I was like, this is bananas. What <laughs> do you think happened? What do you think's going on? And it, would, it wouldn't serve the dynamic much. It wouldn't serve her. It wouldn't serve me. Mm-hmm. So what started to happen was she would just start bringing me her authentic emotion in the moment and not put a story on it. And she would mm. say, I'm feeling this. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. I don't know why this is what's going on. Mm. And she would allow me to be the clarity of consciousness, to feel into what is she responding to? Why is that going on? And I'll say, babe, are you worried about this thing? No, it's not that. Babe, are you worried about this thing? Oh, maybe it's that. Is it because of X, Y, and Z? Yes, that's it. And that's the polarity between omega and alpha right there is she becomes the truth of the emotion, what the heart is saying, and Mm -hmm. he becomes the clarity of consciousness for them. Mm -hmm. What he starts to realize is when he welcomes his woman's emotion and neither partner attaches a story to it and just allows it to see, what is this referencing to? His woman will become an oracle for him. She will tell him what's going on. Watch out for this. This doesn't feel right. She literally starts to help him become a compass that guides him towards becoming the man he must before he dies. Mm. Oh, that seems like, first of all, it, the man would have to very much lay down the stories of, you know, manipulation, maybe from his mother or from earlier lovers or from mm-hmm. whatever he might be carrying. Um, and it doesn't have to be specifically manipulation, but whatever things that might make him mistrust a woman telling him their feelings in order to say, okay, what she's really feeling. He he never tells her what she's feeling. Right. He provides a safe space. He provides the structure to help her get clarity around what it is she's feeling. He has to fully trust her. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's a mutual dance of trust. If trust is not part of this operation, it's going to crash and burn. And we can't trust one another absolutely either. Mm. I, I don't know if it's the... The, the alpha, you know, in me that's coming up right now that makes me feel like there would be a part of me as a woman who wants to make sure I'm able to be very clear on, as a solo journey, you know, um, on what the root causes or the root stories that are driving me to react instead of respond in relationship or whatever. So is this something that can be a solo journey, this, this idea of um, this type of work that we're talking about here? Absolutely. This can be a solo journey, a one-bodied practice. In most of the traditions, it is. It's ne- it very seldom is spiritual growth a two-bodied path. There's not many practices that are designed that way. So yeah, you can absolutely cultivate this alpha and omega relationship within yourself. As a matter of fact, it's required Mm. for you to grow on this path. If you're completely dependent on someone else being that force in your life, you will just continue to be dependent, Mm -hmm. resentful, feel not whole, not complete unto yourself, feel needy, all of these things. 
So wholeness is part of the equation. We have to first find our own wholeness. But once we found our own wholeness and we go, I can provide that for myself. Yeah, I can sort my own thoughts and I can handle this and I can handle that and I can handle that. And, I can... and that's the modern woman. What does she need a dude for anymore? She doesn't need him for money. She doesn't need him for shelter. She doesn't need him for food. She doesn't need him for protect for protection. She doesn't need him for intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, what is his purpose? She doesn't even need him to get pregnant if she doesn't want to use a man. She can do that artificially now. So why is she choosing to be in relationship with a man these days? What is he bringing to her? And it's at that point, we work with most individuals who've done a lot of work on themselves and have cultivated this kind of full spectrum alpha and omega, but they're saying, this is creating neutrality in my life. And I actually want to experience deeper loving. I want to experience deeper intimacy. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to always be holding this alpha pole. I want someone I can count on who could be my rock that I could melt into and trust absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when he's gone unconscious, I can show him that and show him my fury and my feelings. And I can trust that this is a safe enough environment for me to do that. And even if it hurts him, he's going to respond with love consciousness because he knows her reflection is going to make him a better man at the end of the day. She's going to sharpen his sword. And then he goes back into the world sharper. She goes back into the world full and then they can both pursue their purpose until they return home to recombine, regenerate one another rather than continue to fight and deplete one another until the relationship breaks. Hmm. I, 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 what's, I guess coming up here for me is the idea in psychology that relational relationship trauma can really only be finally healed in relationships. So when we talk about what a woman would need from a man or what a man would need from a woman, there's very much, I think, the the, the piece of healing that you can't do on your own because the foundation is all, I think, you know, we have to do so much of the self-reflecting work and we have to do so much of the solo journey. But there is that final piece that has to happen in relationship because we have to be able to surrender and trust another person to heal some of those relationship traumas. Um, I was listening to something Teal Swan was talking about recently and it, she, she used an analogy that actually my husband, Chris didn't like very much, but I really liked it. It was very visual. Um, and it's about a plastic bag. So in relational trauma, if you understand the idea of, Relationship trauma must be healed in relationship. Then similarly, the way that a horse might be afraid of plastic bags because it had a bad experience with plastic bags, the only way that it's going to ever become okay around plastic bags and not get spooked is by finding ways to introduce a plastic bag around it in a much gentler way where it wouldn't be spooked up to a place where it can be okay and kind of trust that plastic bags aren't a snake that's going to bite them or something like this. So, yeah, I don't know. Does that resonate in any of this for you? Well, absolutely. Um, We do work with a lot of individuals who've experienced a lot of trauma Hmm. in the work that we do, and they are prepared to kind of engage on the next level and start feeling what, how do I face that in relationship in real time? 
and we slow everything down. It's super slow where you can identify immediately where the contraction or closure is coming from. Mm -hmm. Where is that wound? And we'll do practices. We can have a man sitting in perfect posture with a soft gaze, breathing deeply, totally still, completely present. And we can position a woman who's experienced great trauma 10 feet away from him. And, but she's facing him. And that's close enough for her. So just being in the presence of a man is enough to trigger that trauma response. But she starts to settle down in the moment. We're working with her in this time. And we have her look across the room and we say, how much do you trust the man that's across me right now? How trustable is he in the way that he's sitting right now? And she might say, nine or 10. But despite however trustable he feels, nine or 10 mm -hmm. is in the top of the scale. Yeah. She's still contracted and can't open. So on her end, she's experiencing mm -hmm. the moment as a two or a three right. in regards to intimately open or connected with this person. Mm -hmm. So while they're in relationship, we begin to coach her in her body somatically. Mm -hmm. How do you begin to breathe deeper? What's going on with your eyes? How can you bring movement or softness back to this moment? And we'll dilate each moment to moment to break down exactly where is she getting contracted and getting paused. Now you do this with a human being enough, they're going to start to become more and more comfortable like the horse in the bags, yeah, yeah. the more they're exposed. And it's gently, tempo is everything when working in the scenario. Tempo is everything. She can start to unwind her body, start breathing deeper. She can start moving closer to this person. And then suddenly the man on the other side is instructed, I don't know, to reach his hand out towards her. And then her body immediately goes in con uh. to contraction and she has to freeze. And you're like, okay, pause. And you work with that moment to literally unstick right. where the, we call them kinks in her nervous system are coming from to reestablish trust with the opposite sex. So this scenario I'm talking about would happen more in like a private setting. Um, this is more of a special case. Um, but in the workshop, similar scenarios are created, but created for individuals who are a little more prepared to engage in the opposite sex than what I just described. Um, and I guess too, it's, it's like one partner choosing to be conscious and working on themselves and knowing their vulnerabilities and love and speaking those vulnerabilities and love. And then that's how they're healed is because then when conflict arises, they can say my vulnerability my abandonment vulnerability or my betrayal vulnerability is being triggered. And it gives a space for that healing because um, we're not only choosing to be aware of it, but we're bringing it to our partner to deal with it peacefully. And that's how it's healed. But I'm curious, what if um, this was my situation when we interviewed your wife? Um, thankfully it's not anymore, but what if one partner is mm. waking up into this consciousness and they're becoming an awakened woman or man and their partner is not meeting them there. They're not wanting to be conscious. They're um, not making the time for it. And they're, um, you know, for whatever reason, trauma, stress, overworked. Um, what would you say for... Is there any that, tips to guide yeah. our partners to want to join us even? Or Yeah, these are great questions and questions we get a lot. We actually wrote about this in the book, the chapter, What If My Partner Isn't Practicing? Mm. Um, so there's two parts to that answer. The first part is 
it's always going to feel like your partner is not loving you perfectly and could be loving mm. you better. Always. No matter how practiced or dedicated we become, it's always going to feel like your partner is failing you in love. To I fail. didn't know that. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, this is very... This is very, a revelation. <laughs> it is. And, and there's psychological reasons for this. We, we do great um, practices and studies to illuminate to people very quickly why this is the case. It's because we're actually not attracted to unconditional love as much as we'd like to think we are. Mm -hmm. We're actually attracted to unlove. We're attracted to the way we were denied love by our parents, Mm -hmm. most specifically. The way father, the way mother denied us love feels like home in our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. This is why we tend, when we go out... um, in the world or in the dating pool or in the club. And we're like, Hmm, that person knows how to deny me love just in the right way mm-hmm. where it's going to feel erotic, passionate, hot. These are usually the people we have the most polarity with too. Yeah. Chemistry because our subconscious is yeah, confusing them for home. Our, our, our nervous systems say, Hey, this feels like home. Mm-hmm. I love you. Mm-hmm. And then we meet this person and then it might be good for six months, a year or so. But then over time, it starts to reveal that, wow, this person refuses me love the same way my mother and or father did. That's Could it be, though, that if, you're, if your father didn't choose you, even if your partner is choosing you, you keep believing that he's not? Mm-hmm. The narrative is unique to every individual. Mm-hmm. But the tendency is that even if our partner doesn't necessarily have these qualities in them, or they're saying, I am loving you. What are you talking about? I love you. You will somehow deny the fact that that's the case or sabotage the relationship to make sure it feels like home again. Right. Mm-hmm. You will, your, your small Until self you will, feel it. will work like hell to to implement that and from the school that i come from there's two schools of thought there's a there's a um harville hendrix does great work on this front Mm -hmm. you can find out about him Um, him. and he takes a psychological approach Mm -hmm. uh in in the world that i come from the yogic approach is look you don't have 30 years to heal this thing Mm -hmm. let's work with it now Mm um how do you what is the wound inside of you that you feel you were denied love the most So if you can imagine what was the one quality from mother or father that you wanted more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it could be unconditional love. It could be presence, could be physical touch, safety. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else? Um, God, mine was highly around safety and I wove it into intimacy and somehow made that a whole nother thing so those lists go on forever yeah yeah and in the work that we do is we learn to stop waiting for the world or god to give us those things and we start learning how do we give those to our lover and the world yeah Mm, we stop waiting and we start giving it as our gift Mm. love doesn't break hearts egos do is what you're trying that's so good so before you asked before you paused and asked how we felt, you said that um, you were going to go deeper. Did you already go deeper? Is there deeper? <laughs> you you asked about the um, if your partner's not showing up. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So again, 
and some degree it's always going to feel like your partner's not showing up enough there can always mm. be more that's the gift and the curse if both partners can humorously understand that's the nature of being in love then they can both engage in that and do mm -hmm. it humorously and lovingly consciously at least mm -hmm. um but then there are certain individuals who just simply are not on board with where you're going in your life and the stage that you're at. And in those cases, it's time to probably reassess the relationship or cut things off and move on. Mm. Um, the way that London and I really work is we really believe in relationship and we know it's hard. People come to us and they, it maybe takes a little while, but eventually they open up and start telling us what's really driving them crazy and how they're hurting in relationship. And they're always so surprised to hear that, yeah, that's common. What you're feeling right now, the <laughs> suffering you're experiencing is so common, it would blow your mind. Everyone is struggling with that. Everyone is hurting around that. Everyone feels unmet in those ways. It is so common. So in our culture today, we're in a swipe left, swipe, swipe right mm. culture. It's just like the minute something off comes up it's like oh time for a new partner mm -hmm. now i would say dangerously so that our culture today is so geared towards just being reactive about it and ditching and moving on to the next person you're never going to know what deep love is or is mm -hmm. about because it's a painstaking arduous process it's excruciating yeah to love someone through all of that but that's the reward is when we stay with it and we fight through all of that we we emerge on the other side stronger every right. time more in love if we know how to navigate those waters mm. but if we're not practicing navigating those waters and every time the little blip comes up we swipe um we're never going to experience love at any great depth ever in our lives we're never mm. going to get the presence we're never going to experience devotion we're never gonna experience deep polarity with someone we love it's just not going to happen it's going to be fling after fling yeah so we always err on the side of is this really time to break? Is this extreme enough where that's appropriate? Or is this you being in a difficult time that you just don't actually want to work through? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly giving our students and clients the tools to work through almost anything. And if they love each other and trust each other enough to keep going, we'll empower them until they get to the point where they realize very clearly that this is not the relationship for me. And then they can move on, but they mm. move on knowing it was the right move. Yeah. They have closure and clarity. And that's the most important thing for couples. Yeah. Something that's been um, resonating with me lately is this idea of striving to always be happy, but being okay with never being satisfied because as part of the human condition and why we are these progressive beings and have gotten to where we've gotten um, and pushed ourselves and motivated ourselves to where we are is because we're never satisfied, right? If we, if we were, we would just all be sitting on the couch not doing anything. Um, but doing what you can to create a life that you are happy and excited to wake up for every day and a relationship that you're ecstatic to be a part of, I think, that's that's the part we can strive for and accomplish and and I'm so glad you said out loud because you and London are are such gurus on this you know relationship um situation that all of us are trying to navigate you know all humans are trying to navigate and so to hear you say that it's okay to not feel like you're ever going to be a hundred percent satisfied that's big 
<laughs> yeah. it's, a part, it's part of the ultimate surrender. It mm-hmm. really yeah. is. And it's about, it's about understanding these principles of resonance and polarity enough that you mm-hmm. can consciously design your lifestyle mm-hmm. and include a relationship that really nourishes you and gives you ground beneath your feet and inspires you to give your gift to the world. Mm-hmm. That's what this is about. Yeah. Um, so now going back um, to the energetic agility and how you said we'd go deeper. Now we now go ahead and go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin. My, my brain is like a, a wormhole. There's so many avenues to this conversation. I can get stuck in these wormholes for a while. But I would love to address anything that you guys are specifically interested or wanting to know. Maybe how do we get and stay juicy in the bedroom when it comes to, is that an energetic agility topic? It absolutely is. I mean, the modern woman finding her juicy self, as London calls it and describes Mm -hmm. in our book in full detail, it's, it's really about how does she get to own being a badass in the world and Mm -hmm. be in power and be purposeful and take charge and run the show and earn a life for herself. And at the end of the day, feel like she could melt into somebody's arms and be loved for her feminine core. How many women are really would love the dynamic of that lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, if she just comes home and doesn't melt the ice wall that she had to put up around her heart and yoni in order to do all those things, Mm -hmm. she can't expect her man to do all of that heavy lifting for her. Hmm. London describes it like uh, pushing a stalled car up a hill. Mm -hmm. He needs some, some lubrication, let's say. And that's where the, um, her solo practice is if she wants both of that in her life as London goes into detail with these practices, what does it take for her to transition from work mode and alpha into Omega where she feels full, juicy, erotic, ecstatic, inviting, wants to be fierce, wants to be playful, wants to tussle, wants to melt, wants to cry all of those emotions in her partner's arms. How does she get from one point to the other? It takes a tremendous amount of work. It's not going to happen accidentally. You can't just imagine this to happen. You really need, because your nervous system is adapting to these environments. You're conditioned. When you go out in the world to kick ass, your nervous system is adapting to get hard, dense, and kick ass. So when you go back into intimacy and you want to be open and juicy, she comes home And first she has to unwind with a bath. Maybe she gives herself 20 or 30 minutes in the bath to soak first. And for years, uh, when London would transition from work mode, she would do this bath ritualistically. And we had a rule that we wouldn't even talk to each other until the bath happened in order to preserve polarity. Because if we related while she was in that mode, it would neutralize the relationship Mm. immediately. So we prioritize, she would get in the bath first, start that process and then meet me. And then we would go further with different practices, letting me, for example, if you let him drive the car, he's an alpha. Hmm. If the woman's driving the car, she's an alpha. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. That's how easy polarity changes in the dynamic. 
So if she's driving the car and he's in the passenger seat and they just get out and then start relating to each other and going through life, she's in the dominant position until something intentionally comes in to reverse that polarity. Mm-hmm. Most people are very unconscious about I am really energy. sensitive to that. Yeah. These energy shifts are tremendous, but if we're not conscious of them, they will just deteriorate our relationships. So we teach people how to become aware and then exactly what they would need to do to reverse it. So in that instance, the car instance of uh, who's driving the car, how do you reverse it there? We can walk out of the car. And the moment we get out of the car, I stand there and I say, get over here. Hmm. And if I just stand my ground and I let her walk towards me, that would be enough Hmm. to reverse the polarity because I gave a command and she followed. It's like tango. There needs to be a lead and a follow. Mm -hmm. Both people are like, I'm the lead. I'm the lead. There's no dance. So when one person takes the lead and the other person follows, you can immediately reset that charge. It's interesting how some women hearing that may get turned on and other women may get triggered. For sure. Very common. If you've never had a man do that with an open heart while he's fully present, that can feel very abrasive. Mm -hmm. But to experience a partner you trust with an open heart fully present saying get over here could be wildly heart opening and um, panty melting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think of um, that handsome guy, um, James Marsden in uh, 27 Dresses. He does that on the boat. He says, like after he does that whole romantic stint, he says, get over here. And that's like the end of the movie. Cause she like runs up to him and she runs up and kisses him. And it's like, I saw that movie probably a decade ago. And it's that scene stuck with me. Cause to me, it was very sexy. Yeah. He, yeah it, it was romantic. Both, for me, it's kind of, uh, it's a turn on and triggering at the same time. But the trigger for me is I'm mostly just worried that the, that, I would be annoyed, like, okay, I just drove. When are you going to do the thing that Justin said? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're not doing it. That happens a lot. (laughs) Danger. And is there any soft ways to remind someone? Well, how far are you willing to play for polarity is the question. Mm. So if you walked out of the car and you just kind of floated over to him and you quote unquote, accidentally dropped your bag and went, (laughs) and then started to kind of float away. Does he then pick up your bag and become a hero? So this, Mm -hmm. these are some creative ways that you can play with polarity is if you play helpless where he needs to step in and rescue you. If your spine becomes soft enough that he has to catch you or you will literally fall, you've just reversed polarity. But Mm -hmm. how many women are willing to do that? I mean, that's why we have a workshop where we practice this stuff to learn it. But you're also learning, okay, Justin's exaggerating right now. I'm not actually going to collapse. But in the workshop, you might. And you'll (laughs) see how fun it is. And then it'll liberate something in you around it. And Mm. then you'll be able to apply it in real life in a much more authentic way where it's not as such a caricature or exaggeration, Mm -hmm. but it actually is authentic because you understand what you need to relax in your body to go there. Mm -hmm. I love that. And is this the same, this, um, you know, you you talked about 
you know, getting juicy. As far as staying juicy, is it the same 10 years into the relationship? Not at all. The landscape changes tremendously year after year. And throwing a baby into the mix changes it even more so. Mm -hmm. Um, Having an infant being in the last year and a half of that process, um, that's a very serious demand on a couple. And I can understand why a lot of couples would stop being intimate with each other the entire year or two years or three years or indefinitely after that point because they don't know how to bring it back. Mm-hmm. You have to fight like hell for your relationship. You have to prioritize intimacy if you want intimacy to stay good for a decade plus. Len and I have been doing this a long time and we still have to f- fight for it. And we do. But when we look at our calendars, how much of your calendar is you know marked off for polarity or intimate time with my partner. No, usually the calendar's booked with all alpha-related tasks. So men and Mm. women are just overcooked in alpha mode. Mm. And then at the end of the day, they go to, you know, massage parlors or spas or porn websites to Mm. find a little bit of Shakti to replenish themselves or food or alcohol, substances. In fact, the greatest nourishment we can get is our intimate partner. That's why we're choosing this relationship for a lot of people is Mm -hmm. because it provides a source of love flow in our lives that we cannot possibly get anywhere else. This is the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two. We'll see you there. It's the magic hour. Mercedes and Jay.